Hello and welcome to Beer in a Movie, the pod, the intergalactic podcast where we combine two of the greatest art forms known to the galaxy, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I am one uh, of your extraterrestrial co-hosts with me as always, Joe Hilliard. And in this case, Smart David. Smart David. Okay. I'm glad yeah. Smart David came. Thanks. Yeah. To the show today. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we're going to do the thing that we do, but just in a slightly different fashion because all three of us are coming at you from as we're in a Zoom meeting right now. So, none of us are actually in the same room, which means, Joe, technically, this is a six beer episode, unless by some strange coincidence, we happen to overlap what we chose to drink. It's right. From what I am drinking, I find highly unlikely that anybody will have any of the same. <laughs> I do. Uh, so well, if all, if all three of us pull a rogue beer, if all three of us pull a rogue beer, we could make this a nine episode, a nine beer episode nine easily. <laughs> uh, so when I was, my fridge is not stocked. We have not made a grocery store trip recently. Just it, like it, not just beer wise in general, the fridge is in, in dire straits. And uh, so I was looking through my cabinet and in the far back dark hidden corners of my fridge, trying to find something that I know we haven't had on the show before, or at least that I think, cause I actually don't know what this one, but I will say 90% of my quote unquote seller right now is barley wines there. I, ha- I have so many <laughs> uh, and probably because of all the things that I have at any given point in time that I kind of put off drinking, it's the barley wine. So they've all accrued. I have like 10 or 11 barley wines, uh, bourbon County and two pumpkinators. And then I found this one hiding. And so I'm going to cr- just crack that. Love the Foley. I don't know how it came out. Uh, Backwoods Bastard aged in oak bourbon barrels from Founders. No, you're hitting it hard on this uh, afternoon. Dude, all I have are barley wines and barrels. <laughs> That's it. That's all that exists in my what, fridge. What year? Is this a, re- a relatively new vintage or is this an older bottle? That one can sit for a while. This one certainly had to have come by way of uh, David Gurney's remodel. Oh, okay, that's well, probably an old one. It is 2017. But I'm does this not isn't it going to tell me the ABV on here? It's high, certainly. Oh, oh, there it is. What the fuck? It's like etched in. I think it's like it's either 11 or 14 percent. I don't know. It's hard to 11 read. sounds closer to what I would have remembered, but it's it's over 10. It's definitely over 10. So that's what we're, so that's what I'm doing. I'm, wow. only sad that I, I'm only sad that I'm not there joining you to enjoy it with you. It's real hot on the nose still. Lots of booze. Joe, uh, what do you got? Well, you guys know I'm a sucker for the mixed 12 pack. I will uh, pick up a 12 pack that has three or four. I'm trying to get it on camera for you. Anyway, three or four different varieties. So I picked up recently at the grocery store hop valley brewing company they are out of eugene oregon and this is their cryo hops stash pack cryo hops registered trademark is the the pelleted hops that you know put a lot of hop flavor using the pellets in the uh, brewing process rather than the the leaf or the the whole hop uh in this mixed 12 pack 
You've got a bubble stash IPA, a mango and stash mango IPA, a cryo stash imperial, and the stash panda hazy. In order to try to match your IPA, I guess I'm going to start off, uh, Carlos, I'm going to start off with the cryo stash. It's 8.7. Simcoe cryo hops produce a perfectly smooth imperial IPA bursting with tropical flavor and citrus aroma. This is my first time to ever have a Hop Valley Brewing Company anything. Exciting. It is exciting. I'm going to put a tiny damper on that excitement just because I know we want to have full disclosure here. And I looked it up because I had never heard of this brewery as Joe was talking. They are owned by Molson. Oh, um, son of a so, bitch. It's not to say, you know, that the, Molson cores, you know, uh, so. God damn it. They caught me with the marketing. Damn it. They, they definitely did. It's it's you yeah. know those craft like uh, beverages that that uh, are out there. And I'm not but sure. Guys, if it... I'm signing off now. This is a complete <laughs> failure. Y'all have a good episode. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You have what you have. Um, enjoy a couple of beers. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm, I'm going to uh, be drinking a relatively fresh beer myself. Um, the canning date. Well, I say that is uh, mid-May, so well, six weeks now that we're recording this in early July. So not not too old. Um, it is a fooder lagered Keller beer, which is uh, we, I don't think we've really had many Keller beers on the show. It it translates to cellar beer uh, in German. It usually means that the beer is unfiltered and unpasteurized, though it is a lager, so uh, it's kind of like a a hazy lager in a sense. It is called Threshold. It is from Schilling Beer, or uh, yeah, I think that's their name, Schilling Beer Company. They're out of Littleton, New Hampshire. Uh, it's not my first time having their beers. I've had them a couple times when I've been in the Northeast before. They kind of specialize in lagers, and you guys know that, especially in the summertime when I'm hanging out and uh want to be able to drink more than one maybe two beverages in a given session uh it's it's nice to have those lighter beers so this is a 5.5 percent unfiltered german lager called threshold from shilling beer company i'm looking forward to trying it enjoy rad so we're we're talking about a film today that's right um we're, we're coming together for uh a special occasion here right a film that uh is not necessarily introducing new characters to the world, but instead reintroducing them and, and maybe putting them into a new context. Uh, of course, we're talking about 2022's uh, Paramount Plus platform release of Beavis and Butthead Do the Universe. Um, those of our you listeners... do. <laughs> I sure did. Those, those titles get you, right? Um the you know i'm sure most of our listeners are probably familiar with this duo uh in the title beavis and butthead uh cartoon characters that were originally created by mike judge for um well a short film but then what turned into you know that was used on liquid television which was on mtv mtv kind of picked it up and wanted him to create a short series out of it um he did it ran very successfully, though somewhat controversially throughout the 90s, um, even produced a feature film at that time, Beavis and Butthead Do America, uh, back in, I think it was 96 that came out. And uh, since then, has been revived once back in the early 2010s for a single season on MTV again, 
that sort of updated them, but we've kind of retconned that or, or, or we're, we're forgetting that that happened. I, I don't know how many people got invested in that. I think it was 2012 iteration. This film sort of picks up as if the original series back in the 90s had been the end of Beavis and Butthead and uh, sees them as high school students still, starts with them in the 90s where they are at a science fair. There's a prize that could take them to space camp. Um, of course, they fail horribly. They destroy the entire science fair and yet somehow get that prize through their sentencing. We can talk about that. Um, and end up at space camp where they're put onto a mission to actually go into space, dock this shuttle at this, uh, you know, the Mir space station and, you know, fail miserably and end up sending them, they end up being sent into a small black hole, a wormhole that actually what? takes them. You said hole. <laughs> takes them back through time uh, or sorry, forward through time and drops them back in Galveston, Texas uh, circa 2022, where there they see how things have updated, though have no awareness that time has passed, don't really realize that things have changed, and still are on kind of a singular mission to find this um, astronaut, Serena, who they thought wanted to do it with them. I said do. Um, it, it th thought they were going to score with her. That's what led them to space initially. Uh, and they kind of go on this quest to score with this woman, uh, a single-minded quest that they tend to be on throughout the series is, you know, either scoring with women, creating fire or whatever, but that, but this one is all about scoring with a particular woman. Um, Serena has her own way of seeing them. That is, uh, you know, knows they're kind of pursuing her, but wants to get them first. Um, we have government agents involved because they've detected that they've come through this wormhole and they think they're alien life. And in fact, there is a multiverse element where we have, I referenced at the beginning of the episode, calling myself Smart David. Um, there are other universe, an alternate universe version of Beavis and Butthead, the smartest versions of Beavis and Butthead called Smart Beavis and Smart Butthead that show up to tell them that they are the only ones who are going to be able to repair this horrible issue in the multiverse by going through this portal um, and are desperately trying to get them to go through it. But as you know, anybody who watches Beavis and Butthead with any regularity, they're going to misunderstand every single direction instruction that's given to them and blow it every time. And of course, they continue to do that. So the film is them being pursued, them trying to pursue Serena, the smart Beavis and smart Butthead trying to get them to do what's right for the multiverse. And, uh, and all of it comes together in a in an amazing climax. David, I know you're a few years younger than me. Where did the original series hit you? Were you a big fan? I imagine you were of the age to really enjoy that. Oh, absolutely. No, this, this, uh, you know, this arrived, was it 91, 92 that the original series started? Um, yeah, I was a sophomore, I think in college and coming at home after school with a house full of guys, Beavis and Butthead was destination television. Yeah, that that's uh well, I was a little earlier, so I was kind of at the beginning of my high school years. It was kind of my high school years were very uh Beavis and Butthead filled. Early on, I was very charmed by them. I think I I, I got a little less so just because it, it did become a little bit more predictable. Um, but still the commentary and the music videos was always kind of funny and uh so I enjoyed it uh quite a bit. No uh no relationship with the original content. How did you come to it? I never did. This is your first time seeing anything with Beavis and Butthead. 
I mean, I've, I've probably seen like clips and stuff. I'm sure okay. like, I don't know. I'd studied television in college, so it had to have happened at some point. Right. You know, <laughs> I would uh, hope so. Uh, yeah. But never didn't watch the show. Never saw the first movie. Uh, Beavis and Butthead do America. Uh, just all of my experience and familiarity with Beavis and Butthead is solely from just being alive and soaking it up via osmosis just as like a student of pop culture. You know, I you- knew the Cornholio thing and the fire, okay. you know, like I know about all that stuff, but I just never yeah. watched the show for whatever reason. So I'm, I'm kind of fresh coming into this one. I kind of did want to watch do America before I watched this one. And then I, I suspected that I would not have time to do that. And and, I, and it's really unnecessary. Not, not to say, I mean, Do America, I think, is a fine film. Maybe we'll review it someday. Maybe there'll be a, a reason for us to look at it. But uh, but it's not like in plot anyway. You you were going to miss anything because of uh, not having seen that. Good yeah, you know, I, from what I understand. Popular sound. Yeah, I mean, Mike Judge always has, in my opinion, a great relationship with music, using music and cues in Office Space and other films to to, to really great effect. David, I had the same experience as you did. I mean, Beavis and Butthead ultimately is a one-note joke that is fucking hilarious and was certainly as a college kid. Uh, that series that they did, the, the, you talked about it, David, They it, about 10, 10, 12 years ago, they did a single se- season again on MTV. I watched that. I watched Do America. And I'm watching it to have another chapter with characters that meant a lot to me, with characters that I laughed at and with so much that when I learned that there was a brand new Beavis and Butthead, I immediately got excited just because I knew I was going to probably enjoy the ride, even if it's, it's going to be the same joke again and again. And, and if it's a joke and the joke that I've referred to a couple of times is anytime anyone says anything with a little bit of sexual innuendo, it is repeated and, and brought out of the sentence. And my God, I think I've done that for the rest of my adult life and I'm about to turn 50 and I, I, I still do it all the time. <laughs> so be fun. <laughs> Beavis and Butthead is to blame for the degradation of your humor over, over your lifetime. Well, some people call it degradation. I call those people highfalutin and snobby. Um, <laughs> but if if you say if you say hot dog, I'm probably gonna go. You said hot dog. I mean, you know, it's so fucking dumb, but mm-hmm. it, it delivers a laugh, at least to me, almost every single time. And this film is filled with that the idea that they're sitting there for 18 hours in a row making a cylindrical shaped rocket go into a, a you know a, a port so you're simulating you know penetration oh, it, don't it, say that again <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is childish and it is infantile and it is sophomoric and it is hilarious yeah yeah having not really had a lot of experience with the original content i mean i have some experience with mike judge but not beavis and butthead in particular i i started watching it and probably about 20 minutes into the movie kylie had left to go to the gym so she was there for like you know the first little bit of everything that was happening and every now and then she would just hear me like cackle and then she would look (laughs) over at the tv and all that's happening is they're making this robotic arm like, <laughs> off 
<laughs> I was watching it and I was like, this is the stupidest shit I've ever seen in my life. I don't know how I feel about myself for how hard I'm laughing at it. It's just so funny. Just like at a, it's like um uh, like just id, you know? Yeah. It's like pure, like instinctual, just like. I don't it's well I think that you're you're tapping into it here. I mean the the beauty of Beavis and Butthead and actually into it. The, you're going to be doing that to me the whole time because I have no, no was, way to filter myself. No, you're going to keep doing it. Don't don't <laughs> don't make, don't make promises you can't keep you know? <laughs> <laughs> doing it. Um but the, but the thing is, you know, Mike Judge in general, not even just Beavis and Butthead. And I mean, I, I know Carlos is probably most familiar with Silicon Valley, um, King of the Hill, maybe too, to, to some extent. King of the Hill. Yeah. Um, animated guy. That's really what it is. But yeah. Yeah. The, you know, but but what he does so well is that he puts that sort of base, you know, just like lowbrow humor on display, both as just what it is, but also in this framework that makes you critical of it and you can laugh at it, but you're also kind of laughing with it. And it's, it's such a weird kind of space to be in. And he, and I think he's one of the few people who I think does it as effectively as he does. I mean, there, there are probably a few others who, who, who we could point to and may, maybe we will as we, as we get into our talk here. But I think Mike Judge, every time I'm watching something by him, I know I am going to end up laughing at crass humor, right? I think we've referenced on this program the uh, the mathematical equation that they're going through in the end of the first season of Silicon Valley, right? About, the, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. Um, this way of like marrying this kind of like high concept with these really sort of lowbrow moments. And Beavis and Butthead are just constantly, anytime there's even something that could in the most stretched out, most kind of contorted way turn into an innuendo, they're going to laugh at it. And they're, they're going to tease it out and, and and point it out to you as an audience. Um, any sort of base instinct to just like want to see something explode or want to see something lit on fire, you're going to be putting that on display. And you're going to see that kind of like very lowbrow humor repeated again and again and again, but usually put into this contrast with all the characters surrounding them who are sort of incredulous, which I, one point that I, that I want to make uh, as we talk about this, watching this film this time, it dawned on me how funny it is that Beavis and Butthead sort of exist in this world where there's nobody as dumb, dumb as them, right? Like there should be tons of people as dumb as them, right? I mean, part of the commentary of this is that they're indicative of a certain type of sort of, uh, you know, adolescent masculine humor that exists throughout American society and culture and, you know, and, and sort of has an oversized presence in it. And yet really they're the only ones who are tapped into it in their, in their world, right. In their version of, of the United States, everybody else is constantly either in the dark about it as, you know, Serena throughout this film never gets the innuendos that she's putting out that they're constantly taking it's like oh you you know do you want to do this with me for real you know when she's asking them to go <laughs> to the space station which they of course well yeah do we want to do it for real with you absolutely you know um, we'll do it wherever you want <laughs> there you go so you know everybody around them is too earnest and straight-faced and and lacking of humor i guess or even lowbrow humor not even able to understand lowbrow humor that they never pick up on 
this ridiculous lowbrow humor that that they're constantly indulging in and that is at the forefront of the show so you kind of have that contrast constantly going on where you have that lowbrow humor that you can be laughing at but then you also have everybody around them like yeah 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 but let's get on with things let's actually do things in the world okay how about we do this beavis and butter and they're just they're never going to be able to come out of their spot where they're just stuck in that lowbrow humor. Yeah, I mean, like he gives this like impassioned speech about fulfilling his dreams and everyone thinks like he always wanted to be an astronaut and he's just talking about doing it. Everyone, everyone starts clapping. Like <laughs> the, the woman wipes a tear from her eye. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and it's always funny because B, um, sorry, Butthead especially is almost eloquent. Like he has moments where he puts together sentences that sound somewhat cogent and and you know thoughtful and and if you don't think of them as being actually the lowbrow statements that they are and gets away with it beavis is always kind of more you know insane fire fire tp for the bunghole you know wh whatever it is yeah yeah, yeah i i think one of my favorite scenes was him getting all these inmates to rally around like justice for the bunghole <laughs> well that i i i thought that was actually i i marked that down i made a little note i'm like this may be the best cornholio sequence ever in a beavis and butthead uh film or episode because it actually launches a prison riot that makes sense like they are being deprived of this basic need you know that having enough toilet paper to, to wipe themselves or 18 wheelers worth of it are brought in i mean yeah. <laughs> cornholio in influences change that's right in the penal system <laughs> <laughs> he said penal i was gonna i was trying to bait joe into to doing another one. <laughs> i couldn't unmute fast enough <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I i thought that scene was so good and then uh yeah just the the uh impassioned plea that the warden gives although somewhat self-serving you know he goes on this whole kind of soliloquy about hope and like you know giving people hope or whatever he, he thinks cornholio is an angel <laughs> oh, he's literally just some idiot with his shirt over his head <laughs> it's, it's so funny this movie like and you guys are gonna freak out when i say this but it 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 kind of reminded me of like Forrest Gump in a way, uh, because that movie is about a guy. <laughs> but good Forrest Gump. This is like smart Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump. I don't like Forrest Gump, the film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like the whole thing about that movie is that it's a guy who, is, you know, low intelligence he bumbles his way stumbles into success everywhere he goes you know and that's what the that's what they do the entire time is they're just stumbling into like being astronauts or you know leading a social revolution or you know uh all, evading, all evading, evading both the military and the governor of texas through accident all of the time backwards for an extended period of time you know like they're just like doing all like the fact that at any point the FBI and the governor of Texas thought them to be a menace when really they're just like, it's just accident after accident. I mean, you know, it's, yeah, it was funny. It, but, it is. So the, I'm, I'm taking, I'm taking it that what you're saying here to be that your first full on experience with Beavis and Butthead here was a positive one. Yeah. I really liked it. Nice. I mean, I liked it a lot myself. 
But there is that part of me that wonders with something, you know, as Joe kind of opened up this segment, I think he was right to do so. It's so deeply nostalgic for me at this point. I have such a connection with it for, you know, again, this was on when I was a high school student. It's depicting dumb high school students that weren't that far removed from me or certainly people I know, you know what I mean? I had a Metallica t-shirt back. Oh, geez, I hate to admit it. I mean, I was probably just a hair's breadth away from Butthead in, in a certain sense, <laughs> at certain moments. Um, so, you know, now maybe I've gained a little bit of wisdom and, and, and I've moved beyond that, but there is definitely that part of me that feels connected to these characters in ways that watching a film like this, it's very hard for me not to feel this kind of just nostalgic warmth emanating from it where I'm like, oh my God, I'm so happy to see these characters again. Um, encountering these different situations than I would have ever imagined them. You know what I mean? By bringing them into the present in, in, in some profound ways with, uh, you know, the technology that surrounded them. I, I do think that Shut there up. were some- Got to watch TV. <laughs> I do think- That was great. That was great. The show's really finding itself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but go on. Yeah, sorry, I, I interrupted you. Well, no, I wanted to let Joe jump in, actually, because I well, had a I feeling. Just, that... I, 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 again, pure nostalgia. I am amazed at the high scores that this is receiving on Rotten Tomatoes and elsewhere. I, I watched a couple of online reviews of people that I tend to watch, that I trust, that I like, and they're all loving it. I didn't love it. I had a smile on my face the entire time. I laughed out loud several times. It was another chapter in a property that, like I said, is a one-note joke. It's a perfect party movie. This or Do America, you could throw it on and, and put the subtitles on and turn the volume down and people might accumulate around the TV to watch their favorite parts. Uh, it's not a it's not a earth shattering world changing film the way that for me personally Office Space was by Mike Judge you know um, but damn I I enjoyed the ninety minutes almost uh, hour forty five that 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 they gave us here and if there's another Beavis and Butthead movie in five or ten years I'm likely to watch it yeah I think um, you, you know I I enjoyed it a lot I would definitely give it. Um you know, a high rating in the sense that this is a very enjoyable, watchable um, film that I think anybody, certainly anybody who has familiarity with the characters already or it, and likes what they've seen in the past, I think you're going to enjoy this. I don't, I don't think there's any risk of it alienating prior Beavis and Butthead fans. I'm excited to hear that Carlos is somebody who's a relative newcomer was able to enjoy it. I think that's kind of, I, I don't know that I would have made that bold acclaim and said anybody coming in cold is going to love it. But, um, but I also, I, I hear where you're coming from, Joe. I mean, I don't think this takes them to another level. I think in terms of their two features now with, you know, comparing this with do America, I think do America is a more ambitious film. It has more going on with it. They're following more kind of, um, different characters throughout the film and and characters that had already been sort of fleshed out to a certain extent on the series so i i think it had a little bit more going on with it beavis and butthead themselves as characters aren't characters that can really develop right that's part of 
how they're defined. They don't really change. There's no ability for growth or them to turn into something else. We don't expect that. And we're only ever going to see them kind of doing the same thing. But as I said, just bringing them into a new time period, seeing how they would react to certain things like smartphones and Siri, right? That's a running gag throughout this is that once they um, get this iPhone, get their hands on it, they're able to start using Siri, which is close enough and sounds like Serena, the woman that they're pursuing, that they think they're actually talking to her through the phone and are having these, well, Beavis at least, having these in-depth conversations with her and falling in love with her. And that's kind of funny to to see unfold. That's a good little recurring gag. Um, I loved the, the bit on white privilege. I thought that that was hilarious. I, I think it's so good. I mean, they stumble into a college classroom where a gender studies course is going on and Tignataro. Right. That's right. Voiced by Tignataro, the professor. And <laughs> and and they, of course, are told what white privilege is, but in a way that they misinterpret to be that it's actually a good positive thing that they're able to go and do anything as white as young white men. They can go out and do things unchecked by the law. Police aren't going to stop them. They're not going to have any trouble. So then they just go out and wreak havoc and take everything that they want without you know any thought of any legal repercussions, including stealing a cop car. They are, of course, abducted or, you know, uh, apprehended at that point, but then they're brought to prison and released. So it, it kind of gets back to the point where, well, yeah, they kind of do have the privilege. Yeah, so I mean, you're right to say the characters don't change, change, David. So you've got to change the circumstances around them to be able to point the flashlight of any satire that they're providing at a new, you know, uh, uh, time period in this case, or, and, and we're living in a time period and we'll probably get into this in the second half that is ripe for, in, uh, you know, a, a level of satirical investigation. And I think, as you're saying, some of that is really pulled off. Well, the moment that the it's revealed that they're walking into a gender studies classroom, I kind of like, Oh boy, here we go. This is going to be good. And, and, and indeed it was. Well, and I think I, I maybe I think I've almost got it out earlier, but I, maybe I didn't quite. But there were some missed opportunities. I mean, I think the big glaring one for me is, look, I mean, the last, you know, half decade, whatever that that we've been through, like the fact that there was no interest in sort of putting them into context with make America great, great, great again, right? Trump, uh, Trumpism, any of that, you know, judge tends to stay away from overtly political stuff. He, he, he doesn't seem to like to get bogged down in specific politicians or specific political parties as much as, you know, bigger concepts. Um, but I think there are probably some ways that they could have brought some of that in, maybe not directly, not necessarily actually having a Trump rally or having people with red hats or, you know, whatever it was to, to kind of get that across. I think there could have been some way to tie them into that because I think they'd fit in that culture really nicely. And I think a lot of people have kind of made that comment even without the movie doing it. So it's feels to me like a little bit of a missed opportunity, but maybe it just felt too close too the nose or too much on the nose to do something like that i don't know did either of you think of that at all as you were watching it i did uh, no i did not and i'm i'm glad there was no there was no red hat that there was no any of that i uh i'm i'm living it you know <laughs> I, I don't i don't need it uh, fair point fair point but i i did want to go back to the white privilege uh segment because 
Mike Judge's use of music in this movie so good. And that is one of the scenes that was particularly stuck out to me first when make it rain comes on. I mean, that sh- shit is fucking still s- goes so hard to this day, like what almost 15 years after that song came out and the sequence where they're like making it rain with nachos and stuff. And like, <laughs> I-, I guess you can't say the way it's shot because it's animated, but the way that it's like directed is really funny. And like, they look all badass. You've got the low angle dramatic, you know, whatever. And then it like, zoom out to the wide and they're just wreaking havoc on this bar and throwing nachos all over but it, it was so funny and then the when when they realize that they have this white privilege thing and can do whatever they want the song by the i think it's by the originators that plays during that is goes fucking hard as well and then to just really put a nice little bow on everything sabbath kicks in during the car chase scene as soon as he gets in that car you just hear and it's just oh yeah children of the grave baby i mean yeah well and i mean let's not forget he uses on the road again by will i mean mike judge is absolutely uh a connoisseur of music and you know it doesn't depend it doesn't matter which of his properties you're looking at Though actually maybe the one we're going to talk about in the second half, there's a little bit of a dip. Um, but most of them have copious uh, sound cues that are, you know, music cues that are just perfectly chosen, right? I mean, Silicon Valley is a series. Um, Beavis and Butthead, yeah, itself was very well known for the the videos it chose to spotlight, right? And and, and what they were putting out there and actually elevating certain artists in, in certain cases where their video maybe wasn't getting much airplay on MTV until Beavis and Butthead covered it. And then people started, then they started showing it in more regular rotation. See, I think that that's a connection back to the vitality of the original series, which as everyone probably remembers, Carlos, I'm sure you even know that it was very short bits of them doing things and then a large percentage of the television show was them in front of mtv commenting on actual videos they've always mike judge has always had a relationship with music in uh his beavis and butthead series and so yeah like i said he he has used music to good use in many of his live action films as well he's fucking good at it (laughs) He's really good at it. Uh, but yeah, as as a uh, as a first timer, le- really liked it. Would watch again. Yeah, I think this this works well. Jo- like Joe said, I, this is one that I think you could put on in the background um, at a party and or, you know, if you just had some friends over or whatever and, and certain gags might kind of pop out at you, maybe you'd turn up the volume for or whatever if you if you were uh, getting interested again. But uh, yeah, th- this is a fun return of Beavis and Butthead. I don't know if I'm as excited about the, the idea that this is actually they are going to do a new series. Um, I, I, you know, as I think I mentioned earlier, the one from about a decade ago, I thought was OK, but. It, it it kind of it does its thing in its moment and that's probably enough if i just see you know 90 minutes of it that's probably as much as i need for a little while so i don't know if i'm excited about this next series but this one worked pretty well yeah it was it was good i also agree i don't know if i need a series leave it alone it worked you got out alive trying to resuscitate an old property don't push it too far well, now we've got a lot of beers to talk about. Yeah, that's true. 
David, the, oh no, who, who went first? Carlos, how was that backwoods bastard? It's one that I enjoy usually whenever I get my lips around the glass. Uh, do you, uh, what did you say? This one had a variant? Uh, you said ass. I did. Um, no, this is just, this is just backwoods bastard from 2017. It's a five-year-old beer. Um, and it's drinking pretty nice. It's smooth. Um, uh, has retained a good amount of that barrel characteristic that you want. Um, maybe a little more so on the nose than, uh, in the taste. It's still there, but definitely it was coming off hotter and boozier on the nose than it maybe is in the on the palate. But it's not bad. It's not my favorite of Founders offerings in general, but it's a good one whenever you have it, you know. A great summer beer. I, uh, <laughs> the record I, show, everyone laughed and they were muted. <laughs> it was it was a good one. It definitely did land. Uh, yeah, he's right. We were just <laughs> muted. Um, I okay. So I have a two refrigerators in my home. The garage fridge is now in the utility room. It used to be in the garage at the old house. Now it's in the utility room, and that's where I keep my beer. I am going to take this twelve pack. See, David, you should have told me after the review that this was big beer, because now I immediately all my prejudices kicked up. And I've got a poor review for this thing. I'm going to take this 12 pack and put it in the third refrigerator, which is out in our pavilion kind of event center that where we live, uh, like a community refrigerator so that when guests come, we point them over there for beers. And that's where I put the swill. Um, no, I, I'll try to be as honest as I can. At, for an Imperial IPA, this Hop Valley Cryo Stash Imperial is drinking really, really thin for when you say Imperial. When I think Imperial, I want more heft, I want more body, I want more uh, a flavor, and I certainly want to, if I can't taste the boozy, I want a hint of it. I'm getting none of that here. Um, yeah, I'm, 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 I don't feel good about my decisions. I don't feel good about the beers that I brought today. And in fact, at the break, I'm going to take this back and put it all in the fridge and find something that's worthy of our time. I mean, I, I feel bad that I sullied it. I, I just know that scathing. you would want a scathing <laughs> review. I knew that Joe would want that knowledge. I knew that you would want it on the episode, but you're right. I, I probably should have waited until you gave that on a, but that would have been like a trick. Then you would have been like, this is so good and so lovely. And then, and then I would have been like, and Joe, by the way, it's macro buddy. And then what about, wah, wah. no, no listen, I'm, I'm a, I'm a professional uh, beer reviewer along with you two. So yeah. I'm, I'm going to be honest. It is, it is drinking, a much thinner than an Imperial IPA and I'm not finding the flavor that I want to find. Um, and that's, and that's just, that's just the break. Sorry, sorry, hop Valley, AKA Molson Coors. <laughs> well, I should have put the, the Carbach bourbon Hellfighter thing that I, I have one of those. I should have put that in the fridge to, there you go. to amp up the big beer presence on this episode. You know, you know, I'm, I'm kidding around a bit, but I mean, it is the truth. We're going to be honest about the brews and we're going to drink those bourbon counties every year. We're going to try one of them, at least I imagine. Yeah. And while it's owned by big beer, there are some big beer owned former craft breweries that are still producing great beer. And until their taste, the flavor, 
the, the, the quality begins to decline, I'm not afraid to say that those are good beers at any time. Which it almost always does immediately. Yeah, the, those Berman counties. I mean, they 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 do the job. No, those are still. Good. That's a that's a, yeah. a a good exception to the rule. But and I still don't think Lagunitas, for example, has begun to decline. Is that a big. Uh, beer? Say it again. Is that big beer? Are they Lagunitas? Open? Yeah, they got they got bought out. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I'll I'll tell you more at the top of the next half. Okay. Yeah. Um. Okay, so my my small beer from Schilling Beer Company, uh, this Keller beer, as I said, called Threshold, 5.5%. Um, I've been enjoying it a lot. It's an unfiltered lager, so it has a little bit more body to it. I kind of enjoy that. Um, as, as much as it's light in the alcohol it's delivering to me, it doesn't feel light as I'm drinking it. It's actually, I think if this was just an... Un- was a filtered lager um, or, or, you know, sort of a, a clarified lager there... I think I'd be drinking this a lot more quickly. I still have quite a bit in my 16 ounce can that I'm that I'm still kind of working through, but it's not because the flavor isn't there. The flavor's delicious. It's just I'm taking smaller sips as I go because it kind of has this fuller body to it. Um, still pretty clean and crispy though. Uh, th- this is a a great summer crusher. I mean, I I would happily and I and I think I have a couple more of these that to have at the lake uh when i'm hanging out here in the next few weeks so this should be exciting i'm i'm happy uh to to bring shilling beer company out of littleton new hampshire to the program and i i will try to bring some back so that we can have some all three of us on a on a future episode yeah uh lagunitas was purchased uh 50 share by heineken in 2015 interesting i had no idea um and, and I mean, we, we don't necessarily need to cover all the beer news, but, you know, it's big news recently that Stone, one, one of the few kind of bigger craft holdouts, finally has sold out themselves, even after having resisted and, and been very vocal about not ever wanting to do that uh, in the past. So it, there's very few left standing. I mean, you got Sierra Nevada. Um, Good for them. What? Yeah. yeah right. Fought over. Right. That's their thing. Yeah, yeah. Dogfish head. What 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 else? I mean, there, there's a there's maybe a couple others. The big the big boys that haven't sold out yet? Yeah. As far as the big like OGs. Sam Adams. Boston beer, yep, yep. Anyway, we can we can debate if Boston beer is, company is big beer. Uh or any good. Uh because they own uh dogfish, I think, don't they? Yeah, new new Belgium. Or they have some kind of controlling stake in Dogfish Head? No, I'm saying New Belgium is another large, you know. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. It almost went under that long ago. All right. right. We're getting into the... Oh, okay, the, yeah. After Hours Beer and well, Movie. Uh, or sure, sure. Patreon.com slash Beer and Movie Podcast. That's what I was trying well, to say. Guys, we've done the universe, right? Along with Beavis and Butthead. And, and we've done three beers, but we have at least three more beers to go. And a whole other future to explore when we get back. All right, let's get back into it. Uh, another half of the episode means you guessed it. Another beer. Uh, should I uh, start things off again, or do we want to go into different? How about we go in reverse order? I'll start, and then we'll okay. work our way back yeah, to we'll you. We'll put our thing down. We'll flip it in reverse. That's right. look at that. Just like Missy Elliott would want us to. Um, 
I'm going to take uh, a beer here that's actually kind of technically bringing us into a five timers club situation here. Whoa. Because uh, this is going to be our fifth beer from Mast Landing uh, out of Westbrook, Maine, uh, my oh, hometown. Dave, before you say another word, I, was our first one from them? And this is like when a beer makes a big impression on you. The Gunner's Daughter that we had, I think, with the Lighthouse. I think that was the first one. Well, it, if not, the, no, the first one that we had, the first one that we, wait, let me make sure. I'm looking on the spreadsheet now. What was that, Carlos? Did they do the Soursop one? Is that them? No, that was definitive. We, uh -huh. We've had them a couple times. No, but Mass Landing, the first one that we had was a collaboration that they did with Dancing Gnome out of Pittsburgh. And it was called Stairwaves. It was a double IPA. That was back on episode 56, um, where we did it with Ad Astra. Isn't that interesting? Wow, what a, what a film to have gone back to there. Um, but the next one that we had, Joe is exactly right. It was Gunner's Daughter. And that one we paired with The Lighthouse, which what a film, what a beer. Really enjoyed that. Um, we also did their All the Way Up. That was in episode 100. And Back in the Zone. I think we did that when I returned from my main trip last summer. And uh, we, we did that along with uh, Excalibur when, in episode 155. What did we pair? Well, David, I'm jealous. Officially, I am jealous. Well, so the one that I have today is called Beachfront Property. And I don't know if you guys can see the label. I love this label. It's this beautiful, you know, surfboard stuck in the sand, waves, you know, kind of crashing. You got the sun in the background. Um, it is a lighter beer of theirs. It is 4.2%. Ooh, Carlos, this is like maybe not even water. I don't know. Are there, are there electrolytes in it at least? <laughs> it, it has what plants crave. Yeah. Um, but in any case, they describe it as a Pilsner. I love a good Pilsner. So I'm going to crack this open and uh, and see if it does that for me. Joe, what, what are you drinking? Uh, I am uh, returning to my default brewery for when we do Zoom, because for whatever reason, I mean, I uh, whatever reason, they're beautiful and wonderful and delicious. I keep a lot of real ale in the refrigerator. So one that I have keep around from another, a different mixed 12-pack uh, is their Axis IPA. And I know both of you have had this before. Yeah, it's a solid beer. It Tri is a... It, I'm sorry, David? No, that was me. I, I said it's tried and true. It is. They're from Blanco, Texas. Uh, one of my very first brewery trips on the beginning of my craft journey many, many, many years ago. Real Ale Brewing, 7.1%. And I can't wait to crack it open. Can I just say I'm shocked we haven't had this before? I mean, I we've had some Real Ale, but we have not had Axis IPA, which is kind of a, a staple of theirs for the last, you know, what is it, five, six years that they've had that around? Yeah, I know that I it was always on the tap at Alamo when Alamo Draft House first opened up here and it was a go-to for me whenever I, you know, just got overwhelmed by the density of their list when they first opened. Yeah, definitely that one in formerly I don't I don't know if it's quite I haven't had it in a while, but the mosaic from community was also another one that was a, a good go-to at Alamo. Well, uh, we yeah. talked about we talked about it on after hours. That's what I got when I went back to Alamo once the pandemic kind of broke open a little bit. And God, it tasted horrible when they were having all of their dirty line issues. That was at the uh, beer and a movie link up, right? The get together, the the watch party. 
believe that you're right. Yeah, I believe that's what happened. Stay tuned. So, Carlos, what'd you find in, in your uh, big inventory of barley wines? <laughs> well, I I didn't get super far away from a barley wine. I think this might be barley wine adjacent. But first and foremost, shouts out to the boy Harold, and shouts out to Keith Redhead. Uh, I think that's how you. It's literally his last name is spelled Redhead, and I think that's how you pronounce it. If I'm wrong, Keith, I'm so sorry. Uh, I had an incident recently where I, uh, I think I told David about this, but Joe, I don't think we talked about it. I was DJing a wedding and one of the uh, bridesmaids last name was spelled S I C O. And I was like, okay, it's either sicko or psycho. I don't know which one. And (laughs) seemed the best fit to me. And then as soon as I said it out loud on the mic at the wedding and I was like, Oh, that sounds like psycho, like the Alfred Hitchcock movie, not like two separate, like sigh. And then like, whatever it turns out Seiko is how you pronounce it. So that's my bad, Dr. Seiko. Uh, but yeah, anyway, Keith is the owner of Woodland farm brewery. Uh, the three of us shared one of their beers, uh, probably six, seven episodes back, but there were a few more that he sent that I had been holding on to for a prime opportunity to feature it on the show. And I think today is the day because, uh, as David said, when we did the all the way up from mass landing, nothing can stop me. I'm going all the way up. I'm going to 12% ABV with their uh, bourbon batch six Scottish wee heavy. This is their anniversary beer aged for a year in Buffalo Trace bourbon barrels. I mean, goddamn. That- you know, that's kind of that's kind of perfect for you because actually if you look at the style i think on the backwoods bastard i think it's considered a wee heavy oh really well i'm just going back to back then uh this is a uh brewery that's out of oneida county Uh, it's the first farm brewery in that county and it uses ingredient all their beers utilize ingredients that were grown across new york state their goal is to provide a great atmosphere for craft beer enthusiasts and continually brew new fresh and exciting beer eat local listen local drink local i love that philosophy that's what they're all about and i'm excited to give this one a go um i love a bourbon barrel in the summertime so here we go Absolutely. Uh, and so we're talking about idiocracy today, right? We sure are. We, we wanted the overwhelming choice on all of our social media platforms when we presented the question over the course of the last week. What should we peer, uh, pair with Beavis and Butthead? Office space or idiocracy? Yeah. And there were a couple of office space votes, but I believe that the overwhelming thought process here was that idiocracy uh is more accurate as a sign of current times uh people were thirsty for our review of idiocracy they were and i will say the patreon is where all of uh the most highfalutin beer and a movie listeners hang out right patreon.com slash movie podcast they voted for office space uh but it was 66 percent office space however Instagram and Twitter both went idiocracy because you know, oh Facebook too by a, a wide margin. So 
idiocracy. I, I pitched office space. That's my go-to judge personally. And we'll talk about that. I'm sure in a future episode. So I'll save my full review uh, for a later date, but oh, hey, Carlos, I'm right there with you. Office space is my jam. It's uh, yeah. It's uh, a formative, a formative film for me. Um, but, but what we're doing today is 2006's, uh, Idiocracy, um, starring Luke Wilson. It's about the same runtime as Beavis and Butthead, 84, 85 minutes. Uh, and it, I mean, one thing that this film really has going for it is that it has just this like laundry list cast of characters, really good uh, performers in this. So as I said, Luke Wilson, he's playing kind of the straight guy as he tends to do, but he's paired alongside Maya Rudolph, Dax Shepard, Terry Crews, uh, David Herman, who is in uh, who's in office space. Uh, Justin Long makes an appearance. Um, and so there's, you know, all of these all of these great um, comedic performers that pop up throughout this film. And basically the premise of it, if you don't already know, which I feel like most people do, is that Luke Wilson's character, Joe Bowers, is the most average human being and as a result is selected to be a test subject in this like cryogenic freezing program that the army has developed. Cause he's got, he's unmarried. He's got no kids. He's got no living relatives. Nobody's going to ask any questions about this guy. And then, you know, they go find Maya Rudolph's character who, uh, who's a sex worker. And cause there's no complimentary average female. Yeah. Uh, uh, enlisted army, right. Enlisted person. So they have to go outside the military. Yeah. They find Maya Rudolph. They work out a deal with her pimp upgrade played by Scarface. Uh, and the two of them are set to be cryogenically frozen for a year and then woken up. And then if everything goes well, they can start putting the top of the line strategists, pilots, military minds that they have to wake up in a time of war when they could be the most useful. Um, but as things tend to do, this plan goes awry. Uh, the head of the program is arrested uh, for attempting to run a prostitution ring and the facility is bulldozed. This secret project is forgotten about. Uh, fast forward 500 years, there's garbage mountains everywhere with nowhere for them to go, nowhere to put the garbage. There's a garbage avalanche that sends the two uh, pods tumbling down to society, question mark. And yeah. they and they awake before Wally. Right. The, like the landscape is pretty similar to Wally, like the, the idea of these trash mountains and all and all that stuff. I've never seen Wally. I told you I'm not an animation guy. It's just not my thing. We'll, we'll have to do that someday. Okay. For, for listeners in the know, Wally, Wally, and Wally is an incredible film. That's what everyone says. We have to do Wally and Paddington. That's Paddington an two. Both Paddingtons. Okay. They both have hundred percent ratings, I think. Uh, and then, and then maybe down the line, we'll get into some studio Ghibli stuff. Cause I've never seen any of that either. Uh, though th let's, let's be clear. The Paddington movies are a mix of live action and CGI animation. Whereas you know, Wally is full on animated. That I did not know. Uh, never seen Paddington. <laughs> uh, so, you know, we're working on it, people. That's what we okay. We're we're getting uh, sidetracked here. Okay. But yeah, so look, that is there's a there is a mountain of films to watch, and we only do two a week. By the That's time weird. we're a hundred years old, we'll have really made a dent. 
We will. Maybe by 2,505. We'll there you go. Then. Yeah. And there then, you we'll, go. then we'll have started to just get tap the tip of the iceberg as far as the ouvoir. But, but the garbage avalanche puts Luke Wilson directly into uh, yeah and he is uh watching all my balls while simultaneously slurping something and shitting all at once um so so that's the premise of the movie is that society has gotten dumber over 500 years fud ruckers goes through many iterations of its name until finally it becomes butt fuckers uh the you have to appeal to the audience carlos uh, i mean there's 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 a lot to unpack as far as the world in 2505 as it's depicted in this film but everybody has become decidedly stupid and so luke wilson this guy who was picked for this program because he is by and large the most average human being they could find become wakes up 500 years later to be the smartest man in the world uh, right. And whenever David brought up the scene where Beavis and Butthead go to jail and do America, it immediately the first thing I thought of was Luke Wilson's uh, escape from prison in 2505, where he just says, like, oh, I'm actually supposed to be getting out today. And everybody just buys it. <laughs> he gets out, you know. Um, but before we really get too far into the film review, I have one thing I want to say, and that it's I'm absolutely fucking furious with our listeners for picking this over office space because i think this movie is bad okay really before, before we move into that and i was curious to know if one one or more of the three of us would think that you guys know i moved out on the farm you guys know that we have chickens we're up to 27 we're about to order 10 more to receive in september and we're going to go with a breeder to find our new chickens that uses selective breeding. That means that roosters that are aggressive are not bred because we want to remove that trait from the gene pool. And hens that don't produce as many eggs as their neighbors are not bred because why don't we continue to breed hens that make the most eggs? And so there's a fantastic montage here that compares two different families. The first are educated, high IQ couple that have all of the rationale of why it's not the proper time to have a child. And then the second family is of, as exhibited on screen, lower intelligence that just has kids and has kids and has kids and doesn't understand birth control. And the man is screwing the neighbor and so the premise of the film is actually very fascinating. If the, if the intelligent decide not to breed as quickly and the non-intelligent are breeding at too rapid of a pace, won't we have a tipping point where the majority of the people in the world are less intelligent from genetic design and basically, basically animal husbandry of the human race? Yeah, I mean, that's that's basically what the film is proposing. And I just wanted to really quickly say that Patrick Fischler and Darlene Hunt are the yuppie couple in this scenario, mostly because we've seen Patrick Fischler in like a ton of stuff. Like that's a guy whose face everybody knows and whose name. They yeah, I've seen that guy. Uh, there's a really there's a good podcast that by the end of this podcast, I will uh, remember of it's hosted by a character actor who interviews other character actors, uh, kind of like the opposite of household, uh, a household name type of people. Um, but he was in Mulholland drive, which we talked about, but I, I thought that their whole dynamic 
and the dissolution of their relationship and the fact that he dies masturbating. <laughs> it was so funny. Uh, or as Dax Shepard calls it, Baton. Baton, yeah. Uh, and, and all the folks around him, too. So, yeah, no, I mean, and this is one of the criticisms that the film has had levied against it. I mean, it's essentially an argument for eugenics in, in a certain sense, right? I mean, the, the, the science of... Well, it could be right now. I, I don't think that's necessarily Judge's intent, but but I think Judge and uh, Cohen, he he co-wrote this with uh, Etan Etan Cohen, um, who's who's that's, written. That's not Ethan Cohen. No, 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 no. He okay. he had written some episodes of Beavis and Butthead with Mike Judge, and he's gone on to write other things. And and oh god, he's even done some directing on his own. Although I think I his it was a cheeky pen name or something. No, it's he actually did that really terrible uh, Will Ferrell, uh, John C. Riley, Sherlock Holmes film a couple years ago, which is Yikes. regrettable. Um, but it, but anyhow, um, you know, th that setup, it's you know, it's both kind of brilliant and a little bit chilling in the sense that you could follow it through logically and say that, OK, this justifies us restricting certain people from procreating. No, I think I think there's more to it than that. I, I don't I think it's it's using that as a simple way to get us to a situation where we would see a quote unquote dumber future. But um, but nonetheless, you know, there, there's some truth in it, too. You know what I mean? Like people who do labor over the decision to to have children and when they're going to have them and how they're going to have them and all that and put more thought into it tend to have less children or no children at all versus those who just fuck and <laughs> and deal with the consequences so you know there's a reality there that uh that, that maybe you you have to uh appreciate or at, at some level yeah and the, and the film's not devoid of plot luke wilson 500 years in the future make has the bright idea that there's probably been advances in time travel but has his ridiculously dumb cohort played by dak shepherd trying to get him to the time machine so that he can go back in time and not go through with this experiment. And then later in the film, say to Maya Rudolph, who has of course advanced through time with him in this scenario, if you go back without me, tell people to read, tell people to think, <laughs> Don't you know, tell people. He tells her to, there's this whole running gag that he thinks she's a painter. And yes, one of the things that he says to her, like, don't stop painting. It's like right. <laughs> yeah. when she finally when she finally paints a portrait of him when he becomes president. Spoiler alert at the end of the movie. And why wouldn't he? He's the smartest guy in the world. Exactly. Right, right. Um, so, so, Carlos, you hated this film. I don't like it. I mean, it, it, it has its moments, like I said, like the dissolution of that marriage and that montage sequence is kind of funny. Um, obviously, like it has what plants crave is like a very quotable line and a very mm -hmm. memorable like thing from this movie. Well, because the, the key problem that they're experiencing in this future is that they can't grow food anymore. Like the, the crops have stopped growing. They're running out of food. How they're, they're not able to have those monster boxes of fries come out of the Carl's Jr. kiosk anymore. And the reason is they have decided to 
replace water in every occasion that they can other than toilets they think of wa water as being a thing for toilets mm. um if it's not a toilet situation then they're using brondo which is this branded gatorade like product that is filled with electrolytes and comes out in this neon green color that you know is in all the drinking fountains and the irrigation equipment that you know any irrig irrigation system is now being uh filled with uh with brondo yeah. And Carlos, did you say this was your first time to see this? Uh, no, it was not. I had seen it before. This is my second time to see this movie. It was the first time I saw it. The first time I saw it, I can't remember if I saw it in the theater, if I saw it on DVD. I did not like it either. Um, and I never revisited it because I tend to really admire Mike Judge's stuff. And I didn't want to go back to something that I didn't like quite as much. Yeah, I had a completely different experience this time watching it this morning before we got together. Oh, so you liked it? I, I liked it a lot. However, I bet you and I could have a long conversation about the reasons why it isn't that good because it, it, it it's not presenting itself as a film. It's presenting itself as a funny movie. What I think makes this movie so good and watching it in 2022, 17 years, say 16 years after it's made and released, is the progression of certainly America and the world between now and then and what seems to be our values. And, and because, like Beavis and Butthead, the humor is so often scatological, which I don't mind. I, I laughed a lot at just you know, dick jokes, fart jokes, sex jokes. Um, Ask the movie is, is a funny premise. It, but what is Ask the movie? It's really commentary on the dumbing down of American cinema, which is, I think, an accurate proposition. So there's this commentary in it that is presented scatologically that I think you can miss how smart it is, but it's presented so unsmart that you can forget how smart it is. I hope I just made sense. Yeah, I think, but I think you're wrong. Um, here, I, and and I look. So I probably saw this movie sometime between 2010 and 2012 because it had present been presented to me as like, oh, this movie's so funny. It's like this cult thing, like you know, well, you know, whatever. However, people pitched, you know, kind of stuff like this. And I watched it. And I remember thinking like, oh yeah, the Brando stuff is funny, and like President Camacho is funny. Like it has like some funny things in it. But I, I don't remember loving it. And then I immediately, with the exception of the quote, it's got what plants crave, forgot almost everything about it. And that and buttfuckers, I guess. Um, <laughs> but I just like, you no. never forget buttfuckers. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, hey, Carlos. Hey, Carlos. Yeah. You said buttfuckers. I did. Yeah. <laughs> and and so then coming back to watch it again. Kylie and I watched it together and neither of us really liked it. And so and so here's so here's the here's my thing is that. Yes, it has this commentary and critique that's worked into like really lowbrow humor. And maybe in 2006, that was like a scathing commentary. And that was like, a, oh, man, like maybe he's right. But we know he's right now. Like we know that everything is fucked up and people are dumb and like that they'll believe anything they read on the Internet and they'll fall into these crazy conspiracies and like you know granted this film doesn't tread in the conspiracy water but you understand what i'm saying and 
And so then well, all it takes is somebody saying something emphatically enough and cool enough that they're going to like it. You know what I, I, I love exactly. the, exactly. I love the initial court scene, right. Where the, um, the prosecution lawyer is just like, I mean, look at him, you know, yeah, and, and it's exactly. just like, that is his argument. And, and that's really the argument that people put forward nowadays is like, sure. look at this piece of shit. Would you really care what he has to say? You look know, and th- falling off his bike. Yeah. You know, like that's all the people, but, but so given that, given that I don't find the uh, critique to have any kind of like staying power really, because it's like very obvious at this point, what this movie is saying is true. And so then, so then, so then what you're relying on is jokes, right? You're relying on good jokes, good characters, good writing, you know, that's like, what for me this movie needs to like hang its hat on and while i love maya rudolph in this movie i find and terry cruz is good in almost everything i I generally like terry cruz and he's fine in this i mean camacho is a very indelible character We, we like I feel like you all you have to do is say President Camacho and anybody who's seen the film is going to instantly in their mind Even have that image. I haven't seen it because I feel like that uh, that image of Terry Crews has been memed before. And it's like, you know, certainly when Trump was elected, I mean, people were sharing that photo a lot. And but I don't I didn't laugh that much in this movie. I hardly laughed at all in this movie because all of the jokes are rooted in slurs like almost every i laughed probably twice but like 90 percent of the punchlines are rooted in calling him the f word or like saying someone someone or something is retarded and all of this stuff and it's just like in 2006 whenever i saw this if i had seen it when it came out as like a kid who was like raised by a woman who worked for the majority of my life for special Olympics and stuff like that. I, I never found that funny. I never understood why people said that. And so I I get what they're doing is that people are really dumb. And so like their vernacular has been reduced to, you know, the lowest of the low, but I personally can't laugh. I just can't laugh at, I don't find it funny. Okay, I I agree. Now, I'll talk about my trajectory here with Joe. I think when I saw this back in 2006, I found it to be a lot more of a comedy. Watching it now, I find it to be much more of a serious minded satire that I don't laugh at as much as I cringe at and I feel nauseous about. But I think it's incredibly effective. Like that's that's the difference is I don't. I don't look at it as having dulled over time because of that. I look at it as I have seen more of this up close and personally. I've seen these forms of argumentation. I mean, I actually feel much more for Luke Wilson, Joe Bowers, or not sure as he gets labeled by uh, them because, you know, anyway, the the tattooing scene is pretty funny Um, where you know, he's struggling, just he's not making highfalutin arguments. He's just saying, look, let's let's do something very simple here. <laughs> and and everybody's like, oh, you sound like an F word, right? I mean, you, you, yeah. you do this. And that is the type of argument that gets put forward all the time. Anybody who tries to do something 
on more than a basic us versus them level get shot down because it's too complicated. And why are you being such an egghead about this thing? This anti-intellectualism that Judge was recognizing and sort of extrapolating from has only gotten worse. It's We're in such a worse place than we were uh, 15 years ago, 16, 17 years ago when, when this first came out that to me, you, you know, watching it now, it's more unsettling than it was when, when I first saw it. So I don't think it's a less effective film. I think it's actually kind of a brilliant film. I think it's I think it's incredible social satire that's going on. But I totally understand why you're not laughing, Carlos, because honestly, I was crying at certain moments because I was seeing it again. And I was saying like, oh, my God, this is exactly what happens. Anytime we try to have a serious conversation, it gets shot down by the people who say, like, shut up, pussy. And then, <laughs> no, I'm not, no, but no, I mean, no, no, you're right. You're right. You're right. I mean, and, and I think, and I think the thing for me is maybe even like the way that we were approaching this movie is kind of what, uh, like framed my viewing of it is because it was between this or office space, right? Office space, a movie that I do find funny and that I do find relatable. And if anything, I was, uh, I was talking to somebody about this in the shop the other day. Um, like with look, office space, it's like this critique of capitalism, right? And like the homogenization of like what, like work and workers and uh, well, the- cubicle, cubicle culture that so many people at the time and even now, I suppose, could relate to. Sure. And like the devaluing of the workforce and, and the individual laborers and stuff like that. But it ultimately is a somewhat triumphant film because you have this guy that kind of finds his way out of uh that humdrum kind of existence that he hated. Right. So not only does it leave you kind of feeling good at the end of it, because you're like, Oh man, like this guy is just happy just doing manual labor, working construction with his buddy, like not a care in the world, but also a lot of the jokes still work. Cause a lot of the jokes are making fun of your boss and everybody can still make fun of their boss. Like that doesn't get old, <laughs> you know, that's timeless. And so like, and thinking about whether we were going to do idiocracy or office space, I guess coming into this movie, I was like, oh, yeah, this is supposed to be funny. I'm supposed to laugh at a lot of it. And maybe I shouldn't have thought about it that way. But I but I was in watching it. I was I I forgot about all the slurs that were used. That was something I did not remember about this movie. And so it really caught me off guard in a way where I was expecting to kind of laugh at some kind of funny situational but stuff. Look, all of a sudden that starts happening. And I, I, David, if I had gone into it with the mindset that you just explained, I think I would have enjoyed it more is what I'm saying. Okay. And, and to me, I find those just as troubling, but the whole idea that, well, look, we're seeing that like anti-PC backlash that's going on right now, right? Like this idea that like, you can't tell me what to say. You can't censor my language. Yeah. What you're going to tell me? I can't call this person this and that. I can't use this word because I. And that. What's the logical end of that? Okay, everybody gets to just use the word, and then everybody gets to just call each other fag and retard and what and yeah. What is that? Where does that get us? It no, it gets sure. us to a terrible spot. I I love that Judge is putting that on display for us. He's like, you know what? Let's because look, Judge in his own way was an anti-PC crusader in the in the 90s. I mean, Beavis and Butthead was essentially like, you can't make these things taboo because they're out there, they're happening. Like, if we don't comment on them, 
on television, movies, you know, other media, then we're just acting like they don't exist. And that's dumb because people are using these things. Let's let's make them, let's confront them with them. Let's have them see what's going on. So the answer isn't like to eradicate them in a way where nobody can ever talk about them. But the answer is for smart artists like Judge to put them on display in ways that make it obvious how cruel and insensitive and ridiculous and unuseful they actually are and to me that's what a film like this does that's what beavis and butthead does i agree with you both that i think office space and and hopefully we do get the opportunity to cover it someday i think is a more nuanced and kind of uh and and more uplifting film than than either beavis and butthead or idiocracy are but i don't think that diminishes the power of of what beavis and butthead and idiocracy do you know, I, I think everyone's right, and it's kind of an interesting. There's no, there's no right or wrong here. Uh, yeah, the, I, the, I, the, I, the, the, the jokes aren't the, the the jokes as telegraphed as here are the dialogue that are jokes are often not as funny as I want them to be. But uh, Aislinn walked in and out as I was watching it. She'd watched it a, a couple of times prior to now. She stopped and paused during key parts when we're both going, that's right. That's right. What he's saying is right. Yeah. Like today, like today that has come true. Uh, celebrity over um, substance. Um, uh, the, the notion that capitalism and corporations have so much more control over things than they're supposed to. I, I could go on and on. There is smart satire here. The jokes, though, are so juvenile often, and not juvenile in the way of Beavis and Butthead, where you're you're laughing at the juvenileness, juve, juvenility of it all. <laughs> what I appreciated in this second viewing that has been so many years since the first one was tiny little things that are hilarious. You mentioned the idea that his easy chair in front of the TV, go back to Wally. What Wally eventually gets us to as a society is we sit in a chair too obese to walk while we consume. And that's exactly what we see here. So convenient that you can flip up the lid on your seat and take a shit without having to leave the television. Little touches like that throughout the movie. I thought that the set design and the, and the thought put into it was great. But at the same time, I'm not laughing as much as I should be in a comedy. And I, and I appreciate your, your very subjective uh, uh, criticism of, of some of the words used, Carlos. But back in 2006, these would have been words that were used. And while we don't use them as often today, and I'm happy about that, I don't, I'm not going to take points off for having used vernacular that existed at the time. No, for sure. I mean, I get, I get what you're saying. And like, you know, we've talked about it before with, with other films that are rooted in different times or like set in different times that are using language we wouldn't use now, you know, you don't take away points from that because it's about a certain time period or whatever. Yeah. But I guess at the end of the day, what it was for me is that I wanted to laugh. Like I went into a Mike Judge movie expecting to laugh. You know what I mean? And because it had been so long since I'd seen this and because I remembered so little of it, when I did it, I was a little caught off guard. And I was just like, oh, wait, no, this movie 
I it see like it seems to me like this movie wants me to laugh and I'm not laughing to me that marks failure. But David's perspective of it kind of reframes a little bit in my mind. And maybe I don't feel as strongly that it's a bad movie now as I did 20 minutes ago when we started this segment, because. Well, I'll definitely be curious to hear what our listeners think. I mean, again, they kind of pushed us towards this one. They wanted it. Uh, Yeah, they wanted it. Excuse me. But I, I, I think a lot of them probably have similar feelings to what I've expressed, I, but I'll, but I'll be curious to hear in, in, on social media and, you know, on, on uh, discord and, and Facebook and, and all that, because I really do think this is a film that over time kind of, it, it takes on a much darker quality than it did when I first saw it years and years ago, when it all seemed silly, you know, still some of the funny stuff that, you know, I'll just try to highlight a couple things that I did still laugh at the way that they extrapolate these brands from the then present to the future. Carl's Jr., Starbucks, Starbucks, we've already mentioned Fuddruckers, H&R Block, Costco, they're all used. They agreed to be part of this film i mean like they they got consent from these brands to be used in this film um which is mind-boggling and and still funny to me that that those brands were willing to go on board with this and and there is there is sort of like background talk that that was part of what made this film get buried by the studio that ultimately once it got finalized and these brands actually saw it that they put pressure on fox to not really market it and to not have it distributed very widely um that that's never been confirmed or denied by the studio or uh or even judge himself but it makes sense to me because you look at it and you're like okay come on like this is you know starbucks becomes basically a a high-end hand job kiosk yeah uh you know h like i didn't even think about the possibility of them having to get yeah because it seems like it would fall under fair use, right? Like under parody and no, they, they cleared it with those, those companies. I'm surprised they did that. Yeah. Um, also, I love that they, they incorporated Crocs as the primary footwear for everybody in, in 2505. <laughs> it is becoming <laughs> with, that now. Well, I was going to say the funny thing is in two, in 2006, from what I remember, Crocs had kind of had like a moment in the early 2000s, I think when they first arrived on the scene that they were kind of popular, but then they had already kind of dipped in popularity. And I feel, I feel like I feel like I remember seeing the movie and thinking like, oh, that's silly that he thinks that a shoe like the Croc would come back and be this big thing. And yet in the past couple of years, Crocs are like huge. have resurged in this way that are just I, it's funny. Do people live? Yeah, I'll have a I'll have a Crocs story for after hours. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I've got, I've got a buddy who I've, I mean, I've known God, I mean, maybe 10 years now, actually, now that I'm really thinking about it, but well, probably more like eight, but he's, he's a regular at the shop. David, you've probably met him before. Um, a Leo, have you ever met Leo kind of salt and pepper hair? Um, I don't know if I have this guy wears Crocs every fucking day. Every time I see him, he's wearing Crocs and at, at first, when he first started like coming back in, I hadn't seen him in a while and I was like, Crocs. And he was like, yeah, man, you know, and then him and his girlfriend come in both wearing Crocs every single time. And he's like, dude, they're comfy and lives and dies by them. People say that like your life changes after you buy your first pair of Crocs. 
I have not. I know chefs like them in the kitchen and stuff. I mean, oh, I, but, and nurses like them at the hospital. I, I'll tell the Croc story now. I'm going to buy two more pair of Crocs. I want a pair of Crocs by every door of my home. There are three. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. As we move into a shoeless house, do not wear your shoes inside, but I got to go out to the chicken coop and it's filthy. So throw your Crocs on and then leave them at the door. Now, as a shoeless Joe Hilliard. As a as a house shoe, I'm I'm here for them. Like I have croc adjacent footwear, you know. Do you have the little um do you have the little charms that you can put into the croc holes that the like a record, like a vinyl record? I, and, I uh, have croc adjacent footwear. I don't have croc. Oh. I have the easy foam runners, which are very croc like, but I will not be putting any charms in those. And I love them. Uh and I love slides. Like anyway, we're really getting down a rabbit hole. Okay, what about the notion that Brondo, <laughs> the Gatorade-like energy drink? You can go ahead, Carlos, and enter the catchphrase here now. It has what plants crave. That's right. The electrolytes that plants crave uh, employs fifty percent of the world, and uh, eventually purchased the FDA and the another. What was the other government organization? FCC. And, yeah. yeah, so that they can now, you know, literally replace the agriculture system's means of watering with its product. There is smart satire in this movie that is only two degrees away from reality. Yeah, I mean, the the, it, the, the only thing worse would be if it was like Monsanto had taken over the world, right? Which is more mean, likely. Yeah, yeah, that's more like Wally. Yeah, right, right. Um, guys, the, the, I, I get where you're coming from, but, but I still find this to be a very sharp film, sharper than I even found it originally. Me too. Um, On this second viewing, I agree with you, David. I, I, yeah. I really do, but I, I completely understand Carlos's criticism. That's why yeah. it's, it's, it's well, an it's, interesting and, and I, and maybe that's it is like, part of it is we should stop labeling it as a comedy and we should call it just a dark satire. I mean, it, it, it's a specific kind of comedy that's probably not going to make you laugh as much as it's going to make you sad. It's going to make you sad. Make you pretty sad. Yeah, yeah. that's a fact. That I'm said, you. I'm pretty happy with the beer I've been drinking. Go uh, ahead. Because this beachfront property from Mass Landing, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I want in one of those little uh, easy drinking Pilsners. I have it super crispy, just exactly where I want it. 4.2%. I could drink three, four. I could drink a whole six pack of these 16 ounces. And I don't think I would feel it uh, too too badly the next day, because they're delicious, and um, and just you know, Mass Landing. Thank you. You you do exactly what I want you to every time, and uh, you you've never had a loser. Hey, that makes two of us, David. I'm really happy with my choice this half. Axis IPA, seven point one ABV, Real Ale Brewing. This is how you do it. Hop forward, flavor forward, citrus notes. This is what I want a seven point or higher ABV IPA to be. I think I should send a 12 pack, a mixed 12 pack of real ale over to the Hop Valley folks and say, this is how you do it. That's shady. (laughs) I got to tell you, look, look. Beer is product to be sold. Real Ale wants to make money so they can stay in operation just like Molson Coors does. The difference that I have 
in all of it to me is that the product isn't just a thing that I drink. It's a thing I'm supposed to enjoy. It's a thing that's supposed to elevate the, 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 the process, the brewery making the, the, of beer and real ale. I mean, does it for me every single time. And, um, it's not, a, it's not anti-capitalism. It's not anti big beer so much. It's that so often I find that I don't enjoy their product as much as I do folks that are putting a little more elbow grease into the thing. Well, I think you're much more anti-capitalist than you're giving yourself credit for, because really what we're talking about is the effectiveness of marketing versus the effectiveness of a quality product. And we've reached a point in society where effective, well-funded marketing can make up for any amount of corner cutting or uh, lack of quality quality. and really at this point in you know our economic system uh, a quality product no longer holds the value that it once did in fact it's even kind of a detriment to many business models like for instance panasonic had to uh uh, shutter their Technics brand of turntables because they made such good turntables that you only had to buy one. You never had to replace it. And they went they went under because of it, essentially, at one point. They've planned obsolescence. That is not, the, that's the model, you know. Yeah. And, and so, you know, even with beer, obviously, there's not a planned obsolescence because it's um, a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, perishable probably right. you know, like you consume it but uh as long as the the can looks fancy and you get enough targeted ads on your instagram for it you'll probably end up buying that versus a better product like real ale which has nice branding like i'm not shading them but it's not flashy it's very you know just like we make good beer and that's enough for us you know but they'll know. yeah well on this show i'm glad that we celebrate excellence and speaking of excellence, we have to celebrate Woodland Farm Brewery because, goddamn, this is a very good beer. I feel it all the way down in my tummy. I'm getting real warm and fuzzy feelings inside from the 12%. <laughs> uh, but it just tastes so good. Like, it's not boozy, but the bourbon flavor is there. Does that make sense? Can you have, yeah, totally. can you have one yeah. the other? Because I feel like this one does. I'm getting a lot of that bourbon flavor that I love. Um, you know, I do I, I do enjoy myself a bourbon from time to time, but also a lot of the richness from the wee heavy, uh, you know, some maltiness, some some roastiness coming in through there. And I mean, you can just see from the beer itself, it's dark, it's uh, nice and thick. an an appropriate thickness has a nice mouthfeel and i've just i've very much been enjoying uh sipping on this as we've been talking about idiocracy so if you want to send us another if someone wants to send us another box of these i'm not saying who sent what when or how this arrived at my doorstep or wherever it arrived the bush that i found it in but if you know you want to replenish us with more woodland farm you know where to find me I find that the products that are closest to your ability to meet the maker of them, whether we're talking about beer or a, a wallet or anything, anything, if you know who made it, if you can have access to them, chances are you're, you're probably tasting, getting, enjoying, 
a better thing. That's largely true. I feel, yeah. uh, but I feel like we have a lot to talk about in after hours. We've already talked about a lot on, so it's, it's, it's a jam packed, uh, episode this week folks and so make sure that you get on the patreon but before that i wanted to tie up a loose end that i had kind of opened up at the beginning uh of the show so there is a a gentleman a character actor by the name of john ross bowie uh who many of you probably don't recognize my name but you would notice immediately when you saw his face and he has a podcast called household faces uh with where he talks to other character actors, um, all sorts. Some people that you do know by name, like John C. Riley, I think was on there, but Steven Root was on there. Diedrich Bader, uh, Timothy Amundsen. There's a Alfred Molina was on there. He considers himself a character actor, Kurt Fuller. Uh, there's a ton of like really great people that show up in a lot of stuff. Um, on that podcast. And, you know, since we were kind of talking about that a little bit earlier, I just wanted to, give you the name of that show household faces um but speaking of this show our favorite thing about it is that the conversation doesn't end when the podcast ends it continues on social media and various other places so you know where to find us you can find us on twitter at beer movie show instagram at beer and a movie facebook.com slash beer and movie tx beer and movie podcast.com is the home base where you can find a great many things including but not limited to our Patreon, patreon.com slash podcast. There's a link on the website. You can find a link to our merch store, which is tpublic.com slash user slash movie. Uh, Joe has also curated these great episode uh, kind of groupings of whether it's directors, All Horror October, the cage match stuff, like all of that is kind of compiled together so you can find what it is that most suits you and that you're the most interested in listening to and listen to all of it at once because we have if you did not know released over 200 episodes of podcasts that's a lot of podcasting uh and also on the website there's a link to our discord server uh where you know we talk about beer we share memes we talk about music we talk about the episodes as they're coming out there was actually a very robust discourse about the black phone uh, from our episode last week, which I was very uh, excited to be a part of and get our listeners uh, input on that one. Cause uh, as it turns out, the more I've talked about the black phone out there in the wild, the more divisive a film I've realized that it is. Uh, yeah. But it, it, it feels like one that uh, it, it's even the people who hate it, like to talk about it. It's a fun one it's to good talk one. about what it is that, touches you about the film or what, what what you think about the film so it's it was a robust discussion it was and even the people i've talked to in the shop i mean you know even the people that haven't seen it that walked in on like there was a, a couple that walked in on josh and i having a conversation about it because he had seen it the night before we were having this discussion came in and they're like oh man like it looks it looks all right but we have some friends that said they hated it and that it was terrible and blah blah blah, blah. and josh and i were both just like no it's really good and we're trying to like I don't know, kind of give our thoughts on it without doing too much spoiler stuff, you know, and I hope that couple comes back in after seeing because I'd be very interested to know where they fell on the spectrum of that. Uh, But definitely a lot happening in that discord. I'm sure there will be a lot discussed on idiocracy because we did consult the discord before we decided between idiocracy and office space. Uh, So definitely come be a part of our community over there. It's a really good time. Group full of film and beer lovers. Um, But this has... um, been another juvenile yet existentially dreadful episode of beer in a movie 
Until next time. There was a time when people wrote books and movies. Movies with stories that made you care about whose ass it was and why it was farting. And I believe that time can come again. Oh, 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 oh,